Before I left for Cheyenne, I set my ex-boyfriend on fire. I really wanted to blow his head off, but the lots are cramped in Denver's Capitol Hill neighborhood, and there was no way I could shoot him unless I hung the photograph on the clothesline like a target in a carnival shooting gallery. The symbolism appealed, but the possibility of taking out my neighbor's window did not. So, I incinerated my ex with my glittery pink lighter while standing over the turtle-shaped waiting pool that belonged to the kids next door. In the end, though, I couldn't bring myself to reduce Alex to ash. We were together for two years, and I thought I loved him. As the little Beck inferno advanced along the edge of the picture, the paper curling and smoldering, I dropped the photo on the driveway and stomped. I'm sorry. I said to Alex's placid, smoke-smudged features. Then I ran over him with my truck. At heart, Alex wasn't a bad guy. He was just the wrong guy. I didn't know it when we got together junior year at Colorado State, but he's sort of a reverse snob. He didn't seek me out because I'm model-thin or gorgeous or from some fancy bloodline. I'm none of those things. He told me he was drawn to my credibility, which I think meant he liked the idea of dating a poor chick from the middle of nowhere. Alex had a goatee and the most inoffensive hands I've ever seen. He didn't care much about appearances, but tried to sympathize with my frustration over my fingernails, which are always a paint-crusted mess. For my birthday last year, he gave me a $50 gift certificate to the Yes, They're Fake nail salon. I chose to ignore the significance of this. Alex's one-room apartment in Fort Collins doubled as a vault for his sacred vinyl collection— He'd play me original recordings of jazz legends and rare ACDC bootlegs with geeky enthusiasm that started out charming but ended up annoying the crap out of me. We both liked country music, but he had exacting alt-country standards. Alex thought Hank Williams was God, and anything top 40 was trash. George Strait and Garth Brooks he dismissed as hat acts. Last year, we had an argument over who was the better songwriter, Steve Earle or Alan Jackson, After a point, all we shared was a love of Johnny Cash and a nagging sense of disappointment. But that wasn't the deal-breaker. Alex was jealous, jealous of my work and the way you might get over a person. I'd come over and make him peanut butter toast when he was sweating over revisions on his collection of short stories inspired by Kind of Blue, but if I were ever reluctant to blow off painting to hang out with him, he'd say, an artist's work is her passion. He relied on the hipster dodge of disguising aggression as wit, and around the sour knot of irony, he spat out the words work and passion like differing strengths of the same poison. On May Day, I informed him, calmly, I thought, that I'd rather die a workaholic loner than put up with a guy who broke out in hives whenever he heard Toby Keith. A week later, Alex got a job as a music critic for the local alternative rag and went public with an earnest archaeology student from Nebraska named Jen, who collected obscure Allison Krauss recordings and treated him like her one great discovery. I wasn't angry immediately after our final spat, but as the days ticked by, my feelings changed shape. First came a frantic arc of shortcoming. Was it me? What did I do wrong? Then, long, dull spirals of doubt— Will I ever get a relationship right? Am I going to be alone forever? Finally, I augured down to flat-bottomed rage. Alex, you high-handed sack of crap. You knew what I was when you met me. I still felt that dull burn whenever he crossed my mind. Did I miss him, miss the idea of him, or merely mourn our failure? I couldn't tell. 
but when my brother, freshly rehabbed on the cusp of 34, summoned me north to help sell Red Hill, the family acreage on the ragged edge of Cheyenne, I knew I'd caught a break.